Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, and as I was preparing this message, I kind of came up with a, a title, although I don't usually do that for messages, but it just, it just kind of fit for me. And this, I titled this one, The Stages, The Struggles, and The Strength of the Christian Life. And so we'll start first with reading it, starting at verse 12 of 1 John chapter 2. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiving you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. What, what John is describing there really is the stages of the Christian life. You'll notice that John addresses three groups of people. Uh, There's the little children, the young men, and the fathers. And so if you are born again this morning, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a member of the family of God, and you fall somewhere in this category spiritually. Now, of course, we know that there are young women and mothers in the family of God. It's just not a a, a man, a guy thing or anything like this. But Paul says in Romans 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So John's not doing this male thing, but what he's basically doing is he's describing each group's characteristics. And again, you can find yourself somewhere in there spiritually. So the very first stage he mentions is the little children. The little children. He says, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, the Greek word for little children there is beloved children or infants, those who are just born into the heavenly family. That, you know, when you think about it, that is the most important concept for a baby in Christ to understand, to grasp, man, that they are completely forgiven of their sins. That that is the most freeing thing that a new believer in Christ Jesus has. And it's complete forgiveness, complete forgiveness on day one of your new walk with Jesus. What joy would that would give you? Uh, Psalm 32 expresses it well. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And those of you that remember that time when you gave your hearts to Jesus Christ very, the very beginning and you repented of your sins and you remember that, that heavy load that was lifted off, that, that freedom, not only from the, from the, the you know, forgiveness, but you had that freedom, that, that removing of the stain of your guilt, You're the, the removal of the fear of punishment, eternal punishment, that was just lifted off. John 8.36 says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you should be free indeed. And he says, You're forgiven, uh, your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That, that early understanding that is nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's all because of Jesus Christ and what he did. That's the first taste of God's grace in a believer's life, and it continues throughout your walk with him, that continual, just God's grace continually being poured out in your life. 
Then at the end of verse 13, he says, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. Now, from the... um, From the very beginning of our rebirth in Christ Jesus, we enter into a relationship with God the Father, of course, through Jesus. But that Greek word there in verse 13, little children, it's what it refers to, those who are able to walk and speak. They're still little kids, but they're not infants anymore. They're they're like toddlers, so to speak. They can actually speak their father's name. They they know their heavenly father and they can call him by name. You're starting to grow in that spiritual walk. Galatians 4, verse 4, Paul says this, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And you know that as a baby Christian, man, you're just calling out to God. You, now you have this relationship with God. And you, you, just, you can call him. You can pray to him anytime and speak to him. That's the very initial stage of the Christian life. The babe in Christ, who the only thing they might know at that, they may, maybe they don't know, they don't understand eschatology, the study of last days. They don't understand the difference between Calvinism and Arminianism. They don't understand, you know, the different, all the people talk about different baptisms. They don't understand all that. But the one thing that they do understand, man, their sins are forgiven them. Man, that's the beauty of being born again. They've now entered into a relationship with God. Well, the next stage is what is described next. And the next stage of the Christian life is probably, I would guess, is probably where the bulk of us are right now, and that would be the stage of the young men. What does he say about the young men? He says, you're strong. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome the wicked one. You know, the active, dynamic, growing phase in the believer's life is what he's talking about right here. You're no longer just a babe in Christ, just resting in that, uh, that forgiveness and that new relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're starting to grow. You're starting to get stronger. You're starting to be able to say no to sin. You're starting to learn more about yourself and more about God from his word. You're digging into the word. You're starting to engage in spiritual warfare. Also, you realize, man, you know, there's, there's, there's these forces that are coming against me in my life. And, and you're starting to get into spiritual warfare. You're starting to use the sword of the spirit, which the Bible says is the word of God. He says the word of God abides in you. That's where we should all be right now. We should all be in the word of God growing in our, in our walks. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to you start having victory over sin in your life, man? Get the word of God. Start reading it, get it in you, and have it start coming out of you, growing in it, applying it in your life. In fact, Paul in Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, or abundantly, or largely, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, you, you come to that relationship with the Lord, and now you realize, man, I need to run, be around other believers. You get into fellowship with other believers, and you start encouraging them. They start encouraging you. Man, that's, that's where we should all be right now. That's where probably where the bulk of us are. And he says, you have overcome the wicked one. Why? Because you're growing in your walk. You're starting to see victory in your struggle against sin. Now, we all still struggle. There's still things that tempt us. But you know, there's certain things that hopefully you're starting to see. You know what? I no longer have a desire for that anymore. That's no longer has a grip in my life. That's because you're growing. That's because you're growing in the word. You're growing in strength. 
Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Man, you're starting to do spiritual warfare now. You're starting to, 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 to realize that there's, there are forces at work against you, trying to get you to, to sin, trying to get you to steal your joy out of your life. And so you're, you're starting to do that warfare. He says, you have overcome the wicked one. Now, of course, we know as you get into, you start growing in the word of God, you understand that, that Satan's already defeated, right? You understand that. He, the war has been won by Jesus. But you also understand, man, our adversary, he's not given up. He's not giving up without a fight. You know from God's word, because you're studying God's word, that the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so because you understand that, you're constantly vigilant. You're shoring up breaches in your heart where maybe the enemy has got, you know, maybe he's got to you in that, in that certain avenue in the past. And so you know what? I'm not going to give him that ground anymore. I'm not going to allow him to, 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 I know where my weakness is. And so I need to start, I need to start strengthening myself in that area or maybe avoiding those things where I know that I fall. That's the growing phase of the Christian of the Christian walk. You're being awake. You're sober-minded. You're starting to intercede for others. You're tearing down strongholds. And you're even going so far as rescuing others from eternal destruction. You're starting to share your testimony with people. You're reaching out to people. Well, Proverbs 20, 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength. Then he says, And the splendor of old men is their gray head. And that was where you get to the final stage of the Christian life, the fathers. Twice... John has one thing that he says to the fathers. He says, you have known him who is from the beginning. He's speaking about Jesus. You know, in the very beginning of your walk with Jesus, man, it's Jesus. He's the one who died on the cross for your sins. He's the one who saved you from, a, from eternal destruction. And, you know, you never leave that. Even as you get, as you're going through your, your, your growing stages in the walk, and even as you get to the point where you're a mature Christian, Maybe you're drawing closer to the end of your life. It's still Jesus, man. It's been him all the way through. But you know, your relationship with the Lord has grown and it's deepened. Your knowledge of him has deepened. And you know that knowledge is really the fruit of experience. What? You've experienced and seen his faithfulness over and over and over again. You've experienced his continued mercy and grace. Even then, you've blown it, but man, God's still been merciful. God's still been favorable. One of the bikers that I saw, he, he just pulled up on the bike, and I, he just looked over at me, and I'm like, I know this guy, because he's been to like three, three of our outreaches, three of the four, because the one that we weren't in, when we weren't at Diamond Bluff, he wasn't there. Um, but uh, I saw him right away. And he's a believer in the Lord. And I said, hey, man, how are you doing? He goes, well, I just turned 60 this year. He goes, it's amazing that I, it's just God's mercy on me that I'm, that I'm still alive today. And I go, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's the feeling of the mature Christian. Man, you look back, you go, man, God, you've been there all along. You have that deepened relationship with God. And as a result, your love for him has blossomed. You have that blessed assurance. You know that one hymn that we sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. That's where you get in that, in that place in your walk. You know, Paul, towards the end of his ministry, I don't know if it was the end of his ministry when he wrote Philippians chapter 3, but you know, he had already been a seasoned as, as a believer for many years at this point. And you know what his goal was as a mature believer? says that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That goal of knowing Jesus never left Paul, and it should never leave us either. That's the mature Christian. And now, having talked about the three stage, or the stages of the Christian life, now John addresses the struggle of the Christian life. And the struggle, I could boil it down to one thing. We're in the world, right? We live in the world. We, we live amongst unbelievers. We work, maybe we work among, with unbelievers. We're, we're part of the world system as far as, you know, you go out, you earn a living, you pay your taxes. We're in the world, but the struggle for us is not to be of the world. And that's where, that's where the tension lies in the Christian walk, the struggle to maintain the right balance. Verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So now John's talking about that struggle that we all face. And he says, do not love. And the word love there is agape. That, that's an that's ultimate love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Again, it's a struggle because there's always that tension in our lives. Balancing living in the world but not loving it or loving the things in the world. You know, sometimes as believers... And I know it's been true in my life, and I'm sure it's been true in all of our lives. We find that we've drifted. You know, we started out just loving the Lord. We're, we've, we've forsaken the world, but, but, you know, as we're part of the world, and maybe, you know, maybe we've, we've, you know, neglected reading God's word or neglected fellowship or whatever, whatever, we've kind of drifted and we've kind of lost that balance in our lives. And we have to remind ourselves to stop loving the world and the things in it. We can get caught up in covetousness. Now, I'll be honest with you, yesterday I, it wasn't much a struggle for me, but I, I remember many times, you know, you see these motorcycles going by, and it's like, look at that bike, man. I mean, it must have cost a guy a fortune, custom paint job, custom, you know, everything, and it's a beautiful bike, and, and you look at it going, oh, man, ah, I'd love to ride something like that, you know, it's just like, that'd be cool. But, you know, we can get caught up in that, and it's not just motor, for me, maybe it's motorcycles, for you, maybe it's a boat, or, you know, a tractor, or a car, or whatever, whatever it is, you know. But covetousness is an issue that we deal with. We get caught up in that. Materialism, you know. Um, I, I, I've seen these emails from these, these people that I'm part of, and it's like, have you got the new iPhones? I'm like, who cares? I, don't, I could care less. But, you know, that's people, like, they want the newest and the latest and the greatest. The pursuit of wealth, man, that can trip us up as believers big time. But the pursuit of prestige, of power, power is intoxicating. Physical comfort and ease as opposed to offering ourselves as living sacrifices each day in servanthood. Man, I don't want to serve, man. I just want to take it easy. Those are areas that can trip us up. And sometimes we find that we've drifted into those areas. Adam Clark, he's a commentator. He puts it this way. The love of God and the love of earthly things are incompatible. If you give place to the love of the world... The love of God cannot dwell in you. And if you, not have, and if you have not his love, you can have no peace, no holiness, no heaven. See, John says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. And so he breaks it down for us. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh, what is it? It's, it's what has its seat 
and its source in our lower animal nature. In other words, it's, it's the, just like our most natural instincts. It's giving in to our carnal nature. Now, sometimes when you think of the lust of the flesh, the only thing you think of is sexual immorality, right? That's, and that is part of the lust of the flesh, of course. But it could be anything that springs from our carnal nature. In other words, an outburst of anger. An outburst of anger could be, you know, from the flesh. Something that springs up from our carnal nature. Laziness, sexual gratification, of course, is part of it. Physical gratification of our flesh. You know what? Satan tempted Jesus using this method. You know, in Hebrews, it tells us that we have a high priest who was tempted and always like we are. Man, he can sympathize with you. You know, sometimes in our walk, we go, man, I, I must be the only one that's tempted this way. No, Jesus was tempted in all ways we are yet without sin. But he was tempted using the method of the lust of the flesh. Remember when he was hungry? He was going through the, you know, the spirit led him into the wilderness and he was fasting. And I mean, he was hungry. So there's that carnal nature. Man, I got I to feed, feed my belly. And uh, what did Satan do? He says, hey, look at those stones there. Why don't you command them to become bread? That would have been fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That satisfies a natural craving. In other words, what Satan was trying to get him to do is do it now, not according, uh, do it now according to your desire, not according to God's will and God's timing. It's what caused Esau to give up his birthright for the instant gratification of his physical hunger. He just wanted to satisfy that most basic need, man, hunger. I don't care about anything. That's what the lust of the flesh, giving into the lust of the flesh is. I'll even go so far, and I don't want to tip on any, step on toes, but I probably will. I think being overextended in credit even falls into this category. So I want it now. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to pray for it. I'm not going to trust God. I want it now, and so I'm going to order it. I'm going to do this and that, and pretty soon you find yourself overhead in debt. That's fulfilling that lust of the flesh. You know, in patience in our lives, it could be an indicator that we're struggling in that area. We're not willing to wait. We're not willing to trust the Lord. He goes into the lust of the eyes. Well, the eyes are the avenue of temptation, what you and I look upon and desire. The lust of the flesh is fulfilling or giving in to the lust of our eyes. See, we see it with our eyes, we desire it, and then we give in to it. Um, the lust of the eyes is the contemplation in our mind of fulfilling the lust of the flesh. Again, Jesus, our high priest, was tempted in the same way we are. When Satan took Jesus, he showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment and told him he would give all of them to him if Jesus would just bow down and worship him. He was seeing it. It was like, hey, you want the kingdoms of the world? Here they are. Just bow down and worship me. That's how David fell into sin by seeing Bathsheba. And then the next step was fulfilling the lust of the flesh. This is where I think viewing pornography falls into this category. You're, you're looking on something and pretty soon you're, you're caught up in it. And then before long, you're, you're doing it. That's how Achan, I don't know if you remember Achan, but he saw the spoils. Remember when the walls of Jericho fell? And God told, through Aaron, told all the children of Israel, don't take anything just destroy it all and Achan he saw the spoils he saw this really nice Babylonian clothing that was just fancy some fancy duds and he he saw some gold and man I was like man and he wanted it and he wanted and what he ended up doing was he coveted them and he took them and he hid them under his tent 
He was coveting in his mind, but it led him to taking them. That's that lust of the eyes, and it led to the lust of the flesh. And then finally, he talks about the pride of life. That's relying on our own abilities, presuming that we're in control. It literally means arrogant assumption. Again, Jesus was tempted in that same way that we are. Jesus was tempted in this way when he was brought to the pinnacle of the temple. Remember, he was brought up to the pinnacle temple, and what did Satan tell him? Hey, jump off. The word of God says that, you know, God, his angels are going to catch you so you don't dash your foot against a stone. Jameson Fawcett Brown, another commentator, they say this, one manifestation of the pride of life is the desire to know above what God has revealed. And he uses Colossians 2.8 as an example. He calls it the pride of unsanctified knowledge. What does Colossians 2.8 say? Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the principles of this world, and not according to Christ. So, so how is this? How is this the pride of life? Well, it's knowing better than God. You know, I know that God says this in his word, but you know what? I know better. I don't need that. I, 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 can, I can do this. I can handle it, whatever it is. You know, it's interesting that Satan tempt Eve, tempted Eve in all three of these areas in the Garden of Eden. Right? Remember, she looked at the fruit, the forbidden fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What it, she looked at it, it was good for food. Man, it satisfies that lust of the flesh. It satisfies hunger. It was pleasant to the eyes. It says she desired it. Again, that's the lust of the eyes. And then she realized, hey, it's going to make me wise. That's the pride of life. She would become like God, knowing good from evil, instead of trusting his word alone. See, God warns us in his words, don't do this, don't do that. And we go, you know what? I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. And we trespass against God's word. You know, these are all struggles that you and I face in the Christian life. We're to be loving the lost people of the world. We're to be living in the world, not holed up in some cult compound or, you know, on some monastery, some on some mountain. But we're to be in the world. But we're not to be loving the world's systems and values, and we're not to be loving the things in the world, and we're to be ruled by our spirit and not our flesh. That's a struggle that you're going to go through throughout your Christian walk. Remembering that the world is passing away, as the Bible says here, in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So the balance, the struggle for us is, how do we live as sojourners and not squatters? How do we live as we're passing through instead of camping out and settling down and, and taking roots down? Well, this is where the strength of the Christian's life is needed, and this is what John talks about next. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by, the, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is, the anti he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. 
If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You know, as if the love of the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life were not enough to struggle with in our Christian lives, John says, hey, you're also going to encounter spiritual deception and spiritual opposition. Well, John says here, hey, the Antichrist is coming. Now, when he's talking about the Antichrist, he's talking about a person, not a system, but a person who will be in the embodiment of the spirit of Antichrist. He has not come yet, but he is coming. Things, I think, you look around, I think things are falling into place. I'm seeing preparation for his one world government or religion. In fact, just last week, I don't know if you read this little tidbit. It was just a little blurb in the news that our president just set aside, I don't know how many, I think it was like 5,000 square miles of Atlantic Ocean as now it's this national monument. It's just run this little, this reef just off of Massachusetts. Great, you know, it's good for the environment. He's, you know, because the environment's worse than terrorism. The, The threat of environment global warming is worse than the threat of terrorism so he's working on the environment with all these these things and you know it, it sounds really good you're setting aside this national park area kind of in the ocean so that you know we have this ocean preserved for our children and all that and stuff uh fishermen are not too happy about it because now they can't fish there so it's gonna it's gonna hurt the economy but there was a little blurb at the very end of that article that said it's part of this united nations goal to set aside, they, they, it has to be like 40% of the ocean has got to be set aside. See, we're trying to fit under these United Nations laws. And it's setting the stage. Pretty soon, we're not going to make our own decisions as a nation. The United Nations is going to control us. I mean, it, we're, there's, there's a stage being set for a one world government. So the Antichrist is coming. And John says, in fact, many antichrists have already arisen, even in John's day. And he says, that's an indicator we're living in the last days. Well, if, it was, if John says, hey, what's going on around me, us today is, is an indicator of the last days, how much more today is it an indicator of the last days? And it's sad to say, but he says, many of them, they've come out of the church. They were never truly were born again, they, but they were among us. And now they hate us and everything we stand for. What is an antichrist? It's literally an opposer of Christ or one who usurps the place of Christ. Now in the Bible, there's the Bible, John talks a lot about the antichrist, but there's also pseudo-Christs, which are false Christs. We're warned about false Christs. A false Christ doesn't deny the existence of Christ, but they take advantage of, the, of people expecting the coming of the Messiah, his reappearance, and they deceive people into saying, hey, I am that Christ. I am the Christ that was promised. That's a pseudo-Christ, a false Christ. An antichrist denies the existence of the true God. John tells us here an antichrist is one who denies the Father and the Son. Now, I'll tell you right now, and if you think about it, 
the spirit of Antichrist is alive and well in our nation and in our culture, not just our nation, but our culture. Everywhere, everywhere we turn, God is being scrubbed from our consciences. Salvation through Christ alone is considered hateful and deplorable. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Well, there's two things that John mentions that are the strength of the Christian life in the face of all these things, opposition, deception, and the temptation to sin. And the first that he mentions, it's called the new king, or the King James calls it the unction or the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, you receive the Holy Spirit at regeneration. In other words, when you're born again, you're given the sign and the seal of your salvation, the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. He doesn't just dwell in certain anointed people. He dwells in each believer. The Holy Spirit abides in you. He says he teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. You know, Jesus spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit. He described him as our helper, the spirit of truth. He's our teacher. He's going to remind us of Christ's words. The Holy Spirit is going to give us discernment to know the truth. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you listening to the voice of the Spirit in you? I like the way Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. Let me ask you this. Are you listening to the Spirit? Now, I don't, I don't, I don't usually like to take little examples and go, Well, that's, a, you know, make turn into spiritual things. But it was really funny, for me anyways. It was like, okay. I was, I just started a job. I'm doing this night work as a janitor. And, uh, once a week, there's this basement pay, uh, tiled floor, and I'm supposed to mop it once a week. So I, don't, I only do it on Fridays. And uh, so it was, I don't know, it was middle, middle of the week. It might have been Wednesday night. And uh, so I was going down there, and uh, I knew I'd, I didn't have to mop it till two days later, but somebody had dragged a bag of something. I mean, I don't know if they had a dead body in it or something, but there was this brownish red streak all the way down this thing all the way down to this door that leads to these garbage cans and I'm like great now I gotta mop the floor today and so I'm like yeah I might as well do it because I mean it's it's really looks bad so so I went and I got a mop and and I'm just getting ready to mop and I go you know and they got these little don't trip signs you know those caution things I'm like there's nobody in the building it's just me I mean it's at nighttime right it's late at night I'm like and and then I heard this little voice inside of me and it's like put the signs up. And I'm like, I got to walk all the way back over there to grab. Like, okay, all right, I'll go get the signs. I get the signs. I put one up at one end of the thing and then all the way in the other end of this hallway is an elevator and I put it right there. And just as I set it down, I heard this noise. I go, what's going on? And a door opened and this other janitor came out and he, he was just walking. I go, whoa, careful, the floor's wet. <laughs> He's like, oh, thanks. And walked through and I'm like, okay, Lord, you've warned me. The Holy Spirit does that. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to make everything spiritual. Like the Holy Spirit told me to, you know, turn on the radio station and, or, you know, whatever. But it's true. The Spirit does speak to us. And as you grow in your Christian life, man, you should be, you should be starting to understand, man, that's the voice of the shepherd. You start, should start under recognizing when the Spirit is speaking to you. Let me ask you this also. Are you doing everything in the power of the Spirit, not in your own strength? Because if you're trying to do things in your own strength, you're going to fall. You need to rely on the Holy Spirit. And we've been given that. That's the strength of the Christian life. The second strength of the believer is his or her abiding. He says, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. 
You know, people are naturally drawn to what is new and different. That's why we're warned in the Bible about the winds of doctrine that come blowing through the church. And as if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've known, you've heard about them. The, the gold dust, the, 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 the belly laughing, the rolling and the barking like dogs. I mean, there's all these winds of the spirit, you know, that, that have, and not just those, but there's other things that have just swept through the church. And it's like, it's the new thing, man. Oh, have you been, you go to a church, man, they're doing this. This new stuff's happening, man. It's awesome. Well, people are drawn to what is new and what is different, but when it comes to our faith, John says, man, stick with the gospel you know. The, the gospel that you believed in that brought you into a relationship with Christ, stay with that. Don't depart from that. Let God's word abide in you. Let God's word dwell in you and become a part of you. And, and on Wednesday nights, we're in Philippians. And last Wednesday night, we talked about working out your salvation. And what, we're, what we discovered as we were discussing it and studying it, are you working out in your day-to-day life what God is working in your heart? You know, in other words, he's speaking to you through the word. He's speaking to you through other believers and through fellowship and stuff. And you're, you're learning things. You're hearing things. And, and it's coming in. But, but then what we're supposed to do is turn around and apply it in our lives. Is it working out of your life? Okay, Lord, I'm understanding this new concept. Now I want to I start doing it. Help me to do that. Are you abiding and letting God's word abide in you? What is God working into your heart through his word? Are you applying God's word throughout your day? And he says here, as you abide in God's word, you will also abide in Christ and through him, through the Father. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about abiding in Christ. If you abide in Christ and he abides in you, the Bible says you're going to bear much fruit. Why? Because his power is going to be at work in you and through you. It's not you. It's, it's his strength. I like that one, that one verse in, the, in this, one of the worship songs this morning. You know, my, my weakness, somehow it's turned into strength through you. That's exactly what we're talking about. Abiding in Christ, bearing fruit. If you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, guess what? Your prayer life is going to be in line with God's will and your prayers will be answered. Why? Because you're praying according to God's will. If you keep Christ's commands, Jesus says in John, uh, forgot what, John 7, I think, you will abide in his love. And if you abide in his love, man, you're going to have full joy in your life. And it's not going to matter if you're being opposed. It's not going to matter if you're going through spiritual warfare. You're going to have full joy. Why? Because you're abiding in Christ. You're abiding in his love. And then finally, and John kind of alludes to it here at the end of this passage, he says, if we abide in him and not love the world or the things of the, of the world, we won't be ashamed at his coming. Let me ask you this rhetorical question. If Jesus raptured his church right now, I mean, if poof, if the next, the next breath we take, all of a sudden, man, that's it, and we're standing before Jesus, would you be embarrassed by how you've been living? Or would you be like, here I am, Lord, I'm ready. That's a good question we can ask ourselves. You know, one easy test for you to examine if you love, if you, uh, for your heart, if you love the world or the things in the world, are you anxious for his return? If I mention the rapture of the church, you go, oh, man, I'm not ready for that. I'm enjoying my life right now, man. Things are going pretty good. I got, you know, I, I, I don't really desire heaven. Why? Because I'm too comfortable here. If that's, if that's your attitude here, then maybe, and I'm not saying for sure, but maybe you love the things of the world more than, than the Lord himself. 
John finishes this chapter with, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. That word practices, it's spoken of a course of action or conduct to do, to execute, to exercise, to practice. In other words, it's an action. It's a course of action. It's doing what is right. It's an ongoing thing in your and my life. How do we do continue doing what's right in our lives? How are we ongoing? How are we practicing righteousness? It's through the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ and in his word. So this morning as we've gone through this, you know, the, the stages of the Christian life, maybe you can identify where you're at at this point. Uh, you know, I, I, I rejoice if you're a babe in Christ this morning. I rejoice that you're a babe in Christ. I mean, that, it's, it's a beautiful place to be. We've, hopefully we've all experienced this at one point in our life where we just grasp that forgiveness. And we're just entering into that relationship with God. But, you know, there's a lot of believers that they stay in that spot. Hey, I'm just enjoying God's forgiveness. And they don't go to the next thing where we grow. We're supposed to start walking. We're supposed to start eating meat spiritually. You know, we're supposed to start, well, of course, I like eating meat anyways, but we're supposed to start, you know, growing and doing spiritual warfare. You know, we're we're supposed to actually start getting out there and becoming salt and light in our community and in our world around us. And too many people, they just want to sit back and, and just bask in forgiveness. But there's work to do, work for each one of us to do. And hopefully at some point in our lives, as we've been faithful to God's word and we've, we've grown and we've seen his faithfulness to us and his grace and his mercy, we're at that point of the fathers, man, where we just, we just know Jesus, man. It's just, just Jesus. It's just Jesus in my life. So hopefully you, you can identify yourself in there. And then we get to the next part, dealing with the love of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And maybe, maybe this morning it's like, you know, I've, I've drifted a little bit there. You know, if, you're, uh, if you've ever uh, navigated a boat or a ship or, you know, an airplane or anything like that, you know, you set a course, and maybe on airplanes it's different. You set a course and it automatically does that. But, you know, if you're on a smaller boat, you've you got to make course corrections. You know, you've got you to you gotta keep the compass in the same heading that you're going on. You can't just, okay, I'm going north and I'm going north, whatever. You know, you've got to keep an eye on it. Sometimes you realize, oh, I'm drifting a little bit, so you've got to get back. And maybe this morning you go, like, you know, I've drifted a little bit. Well, this is maybe hopefully for you, the Spirit saying, hey, it's time to make a course correction this morning. Well, this morning, I, I hope you're not discouraged. I hope you're encouraged this morning. I guess we're at the end of, of the study here. Um, but I want to encourage you to uh, just to grow in God's Word. Start... Um, using God's word and you know we get these good Bible studies hopefully this was a good Bible study but you know we, we as Christians especially in our western culture we, we receive so much you can find a good radio station get a good radio a Bible teaching you can go to a good church get a good Bible teaching maybe you got friends that get a good Bible teaching we're so inundated with scripture and it's good I mean it's great but you know what it needs to also kind of work out of our lives we can't just be it can't just be coming in all the time. It's, it's got to come out, and we've got we to gotta apply it in our lives. And so that's the challenge for us this morning. So why don't you stand up and let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you 
for each and every believer here this morning. Lord, if there's somebody here that does not have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that they might experience the joy and the, the freedom of finally having that guilt of sin lifted from them. Lord, when they repent of their sins, when they turn to you and they say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me, I'm a sinner. I know that you died for my sins and that you rose again from the dead. Lord, please come into my life and be my Savior. Lord, if we've made that step, Lord, and, and, I, and if there are anyone who hasn't, Lord, I pray that they would do that today. But Lord, for those of us that have made that step, Father, I pray this morning that we're encouraged to grow in your word. And Lord, we, we, all, we all know the struggles, the tension of, of the balance. And maybe in our culture, it's even harder. How do, how do we be in the world, but not of the world? How do, we, how do we use the things of the world, but not love the things of the world? Lord, I pray that you would show us in our own personal examples, in our own personal lives, because we have different lives, different it, it falls in different ways in each one of us. Lord, that you would individually show us in our own experience, in our own life, Lord, where maybe we need to make a course correction. Or Lord, maybe, maybe this is just an encouragement for us to just continue staying the course. And if that's the case, Lord, I, I just rejoice in that. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every person here this morning. Lord, may we walk out of here in the power of the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit and abiding in your word this morning. And so we thank you and we bless you. Thank you for giving us those strengths to to come against temptations and deception and opposition, Lord. Thank you for not leaving us as, as orphans, Lord, but giving us your Holy Spirit and your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.